I think we're going to start because we have a significant amount of material to present. I'm afraid we may not finish on time. Uh, may we start with a prayer? We ask, dear Lord, for the presence of your Holy Spirit so that the presentation of this form and its reception will be to honor and glorify your name. Amen. What is marriage? The state of being united with a person of the opposite sex as husband and wife. It's a covenant vow before God to become united with one another. On the wedding day, a man and a woman are legally married, but it really is the beginning of a lifetime of becoming one. In order to truly become one with a different, unique individual, the power of the Holy Spirit, putting into practice all the Christian virtues and fruit of the Spirit is required. If we focus directly on becoming one with another, we will not unite. It's human nature to go after what we want, but we lack the control and power to make such things happen. Only when we turn to Jesus and submit to him, does he reward us with the desires of our hearts. We discovered one needs to strive for a close, adoring relationship with God and obey his commands, then God draws the two together. By illustration, as we move towards the apex of a triangle, we come closer together as we get closer to God. Marriage is a sacred institution that God established to give us a glimpse of what agape love is all about. It calls for the loving, submission, preference, and exaltation of the other that the Holy Trinity manifests to perfection in three persons as one. In that sense, marriage between two people with God requires similar processes of relationship. How do we build strong marriages? It starts with Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone of any lasting construction project. He is the author of love and creator of this universe. I need to believe that his death and resurrection are an atoning sacrifice for me, and each of us individually needs to recognize this is God's universe, his order, his mindset, and his character that is overall. Then as a child imitates and finally incorporates his father's behavior and values as his own, we need to do the same, but more fully for our heavenly father. Then we become the living stones of the spiritual house or the holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus as we unite together and live our lives proclaiming God's greatness and his immense mercy in bringing us out of darkness and into the light, as in 1 Peter 2nd chapter. If our faith is in Jesus, then the next step is allowing the Holy Spirit to choose your spouse. On the other hand, we've also learned that even if you were not Christians before you were married, it does not nullify a marriage. Therefore, God can make something ugly into something beautiful and good if we follow his plan and submit to the leading of his Holy Spirit. Individually, we need to know God and incorporate his character into our very being and manifest it. We can be assured it is good and ultimately for our best, because in James 1.17 it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. This, does not de- this is not dependent on the attitude, efforts, or even whether or not your spouse has accepted Jesus' plan of salvation. Nothing can keep us from the love of Jesus and pursuing a relationship with him. Don't wait for your spouse to make the first move toward God, toward forgiveness, toward reconciliation. Study God's characteristics. The Bible is replete with them. We learned that when we both focused on God and took active steps to improve our individual relationships with God, by confessing and repenting our sins and taking steps of obedience and faith, it brought us closer together. When my attention was diverted from Barb to God, I became less critical of her, could more visibly see my own sin. I needed to repent and ask for forgiveness. Initially, I was afraid to let go of the relationship and felt I had to hang onto it and keep it under my control or it would disappear completely. I had to trust God and let him do the healing his way. When I started to trust God more, Bart was able to trust me more. As you all know, we had been separated. When I finally saw that I was not in compliance with God's design, I had to confess it, then correct my relationship with Tony. 
the first steps of reconciliation were devoid of attraction or feeling, but steps of pure obedience because of God and my devotion to him, not Tony. Later, however, God blessed those steps of faith and has given me love for Tony. Revisiting the basics is the most profound action one can take. Go to the cross, meditate on Christ's sacrifice for us. Remember what Jesus did for us. He delivered us from the pit and crowned us with love and compassion, as in Psalm 103, verse 4. This is an act that no one deserves and from which a flood of gratefulness follows. This is the first love that needs to be strong as a flame and light within us. It is the meat and the milk. We cannot leave the cross. Determine who I am in Christ. Remember, we are crowned with love and compassion like royalty. Meditate and study references regarding our identity in Christ. As an exercise, find 25 or more. For example, ambassador of Christ, child of God, joint heir with Christ, a people belonging to God, a holy nation, priesthood, determined to believe what God has written in his word about you. There is no other effort on your part to make them truer or better. Believe them, say them loud, repeat them often, especially when feeling insecure or a failure. Let us live victoriously in Jesus. Put on the mind of Christ. See the world, your family, and your spouse from Jesus' perspective. Ask for spiritual vision. See difficulties as challenges and opportunities to grow in spiritual maturity as in James 1, 2 through 4 and Romans 5, 3 through 5. Discern evil for what it is. This also takes the personal edge of the conflict and better defines the spiritual battle that this truly is. Our, battle are not, our battles are not against flesh and blood, according to Ephesians 6.12. Spiritual vision and goals. Do not lose sight of our spiritual vision and goals. We are to worship, praise, honor, and glorify God. We manifest our love by obeying His commandments, as in John 15. In obeying Him and loving Him, we are changed such that we show the dark world His divine nature. That is what draws sinners to Christ, in Psalm 51, 12, and 13. Then we pursue the Great Commission to make disciples of all people, as in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are given very specific goals in marriage, as in 1 Peter 3 and Ephesians 5. Wives are to reverence, respect, and submit to their husbands. That's a tall order. But Ephesians 5, 18, 21 indicates that by submitting a step of obedience and trust, the Holy Spirit fills us. Furthermore, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we draw our husbands and all those around us to God. In that way, if we have an unbelieving husband or one who does not have the spiritual vision for the family, we can influence him to become obedient to God's design, as in 1 Peter 3.1. The husband has a clearly defined role of being the priest of the home. He is to sanctify and cleanse the wife and family with the washing of water by the word. He is to teach by reading the Holy Bible and by example. He is to correct, influence, rebuke, train up the children and pray for his family. He is to present his wife to himself such as she is without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she should be holy and without blemish from a spiritual vantage. He is to point his wife and children to God. Furthermore, the husband is to exemplify God's teaching by loving his wife like Christ loved the church, like his own body, giving himself for his wife. This means acting as Jesus would. This means putting on the mind of Christ. This means learning God's divine nature such that it becomes his makeup. This role includes protection, attention, time, devotion, trust, care, consideration, honor, nourishment, and possibly my very life. I had understood that being head of the house was to physically provide food, shelter, education, and protection for my wife and kids. I had not taken the role of priest of the house. I had to confess this and take active steps to correct this in my household. Some of the formal things we do at home now in this regard are I pray with Barb every morning and night. Before we all go to work and school, we have a family prayer, and in the prayer I ask God to put a hedge of protection around us all against Satan for victory over the spirit of anger. When we can, we try to have Bible reading after supper with the family. At night, I read the Bible and pray with Barb. 
on the way to work. I pray fervently for the family and many others. We also attend all church services as much as possible. Additionally, when we have family vacations, we have devotions each morning. I'm still learning more about being priest of the home. Practice godliness, pursue holiness. Die to self will daily. Ask God for that insight, as in Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Second Peter 1 promises that we can partake in Christ's divine nature, escape the corruption of the world, and be effective and productive in knowing Jesus if we add our faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. These are building blocks of our spiritual house. If we study and these and develop their corresponding character traits, which are gratefulness, thoroughness, meekness, humility, mourning, responsibility, hungering, and thirsting for righteousness, mercifulness, sincerity, courage, wisdom, we will know Jesus more fully. As we know Jesus more fully and act on that knowledge, ask God to correct our bad habits and how we relate to one another and develop the discipline to change we can love more fully and our marriage benefits from this as we unite under God. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, temperance are characteristics that, when studied, prayed for, and exhibited, are additional blocks for a lasting, fulfilled marriage. We need not only to read the Bible, study, meditate, and memor- but we also need to memorize it. Memorize not just scattered verses, but whole chapters, and you'll find you'll have a better overall perspective. I also found that some of the verses I did not understand or did not like were actually the key ones in changing me as I had to grapple with them. Journal on how your life changes as you study these, and you'll have a record of God's interventions in your life to help you through the rough times. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled in Matthew 5, 6. Build in accountability. There's a lie out out there that I am accountable for myself. The truth is that my heart is deceitful and wicked, and God has given us the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ, and earthly authority for our protection. Change and study is hard. We need each other. My lady's Bible study has been critical in keeping me focused and preventing me from getting lazy. I need to study, not just read the Bible and be prepared weekly. It keeps me sharper and better disciplined than if I were just reading the Bible on my own. Also, ask God to lead you to preferably three accountability couples, one of similar age, an older couple to learn from their experience, and a younger couple to mentor and also to glean their perspective. Choose people who are spiritually discerning and who will be brutally honest with you. They should understand confidentiality They should be faithful, not perfect, and have integrity and sincerity. These become praying partners, provide support, encouragement, and counsel, as well as accountability. Be open and sincere with each other. Confession nurtures a life of integrity. Pray for each other. We all, as long as we live, will have temptations, and Satan is circling and prowling like a lion to devour us, as in 1 Peter 5.8. We are arrogant and foolish to think we can stand alone or even just as a married couple. God instituted the body of Christ for a reason. Many do not tell others their troubles, concerns, sins, weaknesses because they're afraid of gossip. The Bible in James 5:16 tells us to confess to one another. We need to confess weaknesses. We need to ask for prayer support. Yes, it hurts my pride, but what am I hiding anyway? God knows my heart. Am I more afraid what people think than being fully prepared for spiritual battle? Iron sharpens iron, as in Proverbs 27:17. If someone among you sins, you who are faithful, restore them gently, but be careful, because you may be tempted by the same sin. Carry each other's burdens, as in Galatians 6:2. If you have an individual accountability partner, be careful to keep that relationship from interfering with your marriage commitment. It can easily become a distorted relationship, even under the guise of protection of your spouse or other good intentions. We are very grateful for our accountability partners. They have helped us tremendously 
we find we need to just plan, plan time out of our busy schedule to meet with them as a high priority. Have prayer warriors. Build a protective wall around you, your spouse and family. It's not conceit to have people pray for you. you rather, rather, it is egotistical to think you can proceed through life alone without prayer support. The old adage, divide and conquer, is one of Satan's common ploys. We are so private and protective of ourselves that we do not take advantage of the strategy that God has provided for us. There is a furious battle in progress for our souls. Putting on our spiritual armor is important. But Paul goes on in the same chapter of Ephesians 6 about prayer. We need to pray at all times and in all situations. And with the urgency that comes from realizing that we are in the midst of a fierce spiritual battle. Pray for all the saints. Pray all the time. I heard Lori Salerno speak on this subject. And lights finally went on in my head. She drew from Peter's experience in denying Christ three times before the rooster crowed. She advocated we establish roosters in our lives. These are people who will tell you bluntly that your soul is in danger. They do not beat around the bush. Generally, we try to avoid people like that, but they are necessary. They're often the ones to bring us back into compliance with God's word. James 5.19 says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the errors of his wave Ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. She further explained a model of concentric protective walls of people for protection against Satan. Me is in the center, then the spouse, the family, lifers or best friends. These are people with a long history with you that accept you unconditionally even while they're honest with you and who you can even call at 3 o'clock in the morning. But remember, they're such good friends that they may lack objectivity. So everyone needs at least one rooster. Roosters love you, pray for you, ask you tough questions, meet with you in a formal, structured meeting on a regular basis, and practice confidentiality. Prayer warriors meet with you periodically. Keep in touch. They know the needs and concerns of your life and pray over your work and ministry daily. Church family and the body of Christ are all believers, are also included. I realized how isolated I had been. First, we had lived in Kentucky without a local church family. Also, my schedule was so busy, I had little time for developing friendships. I was an easy prey. I am conscious now about the importance of intercessory prayer and the need for and the blessings from these walls of protection as we are continuing to develop them. When we were in the, were in the Dominican Republic and just recently in Lebanon, we specifically ask people to pray at particular times for us in a formal way. We certainly were blessed and felt those prayers. Additionally, we were humbled to know so many people were willing to pray for us. Deal with differences. When asking various couples what some of the rubs were about, they mentioned dealing with differences. We need to remember that we are not supposed to be the same. Everybody that God has created is unique. We need to accept and respect each other's differences. We have different likes and dislikes, weaknesses, strengths, gifts, backgrounds, cultures, cycles, patterns. In fact, that is what attracted you to each other in the first place. God puts unique individuals together to learn uh, from each other. We need to learn to recognize that differences are actually helpful. They broaden our view, they provide balance, they provide interest, they provide humor, they provide growth and learning. They increase our connection with other people and sphere of influence. They help us know God from a different point of view. Differences do not need to automatically translate to conflict. But the differences, but differences result in conflict when we lose our godly focus see through our limited physical vision and want our will to dominate over another. God's perfect plan allows both partners to learn and potentially grow in his knowledge even when there is a conflict or problem. Do not avoid conflicts. Hide, bury, run from or deny them. Solve them. How do we resolve conflicts? Remember, unresolved problems cause disintegration of relationships. It may not happen all at once, but little by little, unresolved issues accumulate and grow like a cancer. And I know a lot about that. 
undermining the very fabric and foundation of relationships, make the first move towards reconciliation. In Matthew 5.23, we are taught to reconcile before we worship. Don't let a conflict separate you from worshiping God. The Bible says it is that important. Furthermore, I discovered the dissolution of a marriage relationship is not the end of the relationship. It lingers in the form of hurt, anger, bitterness, resentment, and further affects every other relationship. I have to remember that my relationships are built by yielding my rights, not winning my point, and not being right. Jesus is our example, and we are to follow in his steps in 1 Peter 2nd chapter. What did Jesus do? When I studied the Gospels from this point of view, I was shocked that Jesus indeed at one time or another yielded every possible right that we commonly hold for ourselves, even our unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness from the U.S. Declaration of Independence. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. I can't do this myself. This requires the Holy Spirit to do some major work in me. Additionally, the Bible says that revenge is reserved for God. Jesus, as our example in 1 Peter 2.23, did not retaliate or threaten his persecutors. Instead, he entrusted himself to God, the righteous judge. Accept each other for what we are, Romans, Romans 15.7. We are different from each other. We both are imperfect. We both sin. God loves us all the same. We all have values in God's sight. It's up to me to see the value in my spouse, accept the quirks, unique features, and strengths and weaknesses in each other. We need to remember, do not judge the other, for in the same measure you will be judged, as in Matthew 7, 1 and 2. Instead of fighting about these things or becoming irritated, ask God for his perspective. It does not work to draw boundary lines then and and then ask God to give you acceptance of the other. No, I need to yield my entire point of view of a specific issue and be willing to step out into God's order, his plan. Besides, no one can force another to change his or her character. That's God's business. And even God allows us to choose. Maintain respect in speaking, listening, appearing, and acting. The Bible says the wife must reverence her husband in Ephesians 5.33. This is more than being respectful. It is with deference, honor, regarding highly with value mixed with love. This must be obeyed regardless of whether or not he loves you and whether or not it is fulfill- he is fulfilling his role according to what the Bible says. It means finding that value that God sees in the other person. This is not worshiping your spouse. It means worshiping God and obeying what God's word says. It recognized God's order of authority is that the man is head of the house. It is recognizing he does not deserve this position because of innate characteristics. If he did, he'd be an easy man to love. He's human and also imperfect. I needed to learn to separate my husband's personality from his position. I started by confessing my lack of respect for my husband and asking God to tear down the walls that separated us. Then I began to be polite in my dealings with him. I started to learn how to say yes, even though it did not fit into my way of thinking. This was the beginning of submitting to Tony. I discovered that by taking these steps in faith, I received filling from the Holy Spirit, as is noted in Ephesians 5, 18 to 22. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then it follows with how to do this, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting ourselves to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit, meaning to yield to the will of an authority. Submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. When I did this with the power of the Holy Spirit, I was better able to reverence Tony. God was then free to work through Tony to perfect perfect Christ's character in me. I was also free to do more, such as support him in his weaknesses by praying for him, not trying to change him. Protect and help build, not hinder his reputation. It is following God's order and structure. God blesses those steps in faith and promises and delivers his promises of giving us the true desires of our hearts in Psalm 103, verse 5. 
The world makes us seem as if one follows this doctrine, then wives are supposed to, be, to worship their husbands, blindly obey them, and essentially be dormants. That is such a distortion of the truth. And yet on the surface, it may seem that way to the undiscerning eye. I was so afraid of falling into appearing like a doormat that I would have challenged my husband's position. In my mind, we should be equals, 50-50. The other way required that I obey him, and he clearly undeserved such a position, and I was fearful of poor decisions on his part. This is directly against what 1 Peter 3, 6 says, do not give way to fear. I did not recognize some important points, that God hears the prayers of the oppressed, the lonely, the grieving. I did not recognize how to appeal to authority. I did not understand the workings of how God uses authority. My simple-minded notion was that one should obey benevolent authority and rebel against, overthrow, or run from evil or hard authority. I did not understand that when one leaves the protection of God's design of authority, (coughs) God allows you to be unprotected directly in Satan's domain. And this is a very scary place to be. God allows Satan to sift us, to become depraved in our minds and develop foolish thinking, to become lustful, to be in bondage to sin, as in Romans 1. It's a kind of punishment here on earth to hopefully drive us back to our Lord and Savior's mercy. When I developed a better understanding of what God's order is and that it is to be honored regardless of circumstance, I confessed it and desired to be in obedience to God's order of authority. My first steps in faith to reunite with Tony were without feeling of attraction or love, but purely for obedience' sake. I had seen and felt the destruction and bondage that Satan was doing to me and my children, and I desperately wanted God's protection. I chose to obey the Bible and have faith that God would honor that. I have also heard it say that yielding to your husband's decisions as head of the house is just for dealing with conflict and decision-making. That's a far cry from God's design. As wives, we need to continue to learn to value and reverence them in the Lord. Good biblical examples are Ruth, Mary, Hannah, Sarah, among others. Queen Esther is a good example on how to appeal to your husband when his reputation is at stake. His decision goes against godly principles or he is faltering spiritually. We have to remember appeals are not, however, to push our own point of view. I feel obligated to put a disclaimer here. Serious abuse, beatings, blatant repeated sexual infidelity still require we respect our husband's position as head of the family. But if indeed there's true danger, not the nitpicky abuse that's now popular, get out of the dangerous situation and get help quickly. This is not the subject of this talk. I would just warn you, in prayer, truly evaluate the situation properly from God's perspective. Remember, what seems impossible from a human point of view is nothing for God to change. What do we do when a conflict arises? First, identify whose problem it truly is. Is it my problem, my fear, my self-protection, my pride? Is the problem merely a clash of wills? What are the more far-reaching consequences? Is it just a picky problem that is best to let go? Will I be saying uh, something help us grow closer to Christ? Will it help my husband's reputation? Will it help my wife recognize my love for her? Will it harm his and her spirit? Remember what happens when a relationship disintegrates. Be respectful of one another. Then get all the information and facts about the problem. Find in the Bible situations or areas of conflict that are similar. Pray for wisdom about what to do, as in James 1.5. Ask, what is God teaching me in this trial? Ask God to resolve the problem and start by changing me. Take responsibility for our feelings and reactions. Do not blame your spouse. Accept criticism, even if it's not delivered in a palatable package. Admit your mistakes. Pray for your spouse by name. God will change your attitude toward your spouse, thereby enabling you to deal with the problem God's way. Pray for that person's success, as in 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Ask God for understanding of your spouse's point of view. Do not criticize your spouse until you have walked a mile in his or her moccasins. Seek wise counsel. This will probably be one of your accountability couples. 
They need to be praying people who will help resolve the issue according to God's will, not to help you win. It is counterproductive to complain to a cheerleading squad who then in turn lead a pity party. Also beware of people complaining about their spouses and verifying within the group that the spouse is not worthy. This creates more discontent than one realizes and is a very dangerous pastime common among workplaces. Quickly deal with your own negative emotions. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, as in Ephesians 4:26. I found that when I was angry or upset, I could process my emotions by writing and praying for enlightenment. I would journal about the clash, my reaction, my feelings, and look for root causes such as pride, self-protection, fear, or lack of trust. Often the main issue had to do more with me, thus needed to be worked out between God and me. Many times I would have to confess and ask for forgiveness rather than bringing up a problem. When Tony came home, instead of getting into a fight, I would ask him to pray for me in my spiritual struggle, even if it perhaps, quote, started with him, unquote. I realized my part of the problem and focused on that part. His prayers helped tremendously. The interesting thing that followed is that even though I did not say anything to Tony about the issue that, quote, started it, he started to change or even confess his part of the problem without me even needing to point that out to him. The Bible says, do not let Satan have a stronghold. That occurs when we do not resolve anger or hurt, and it becomes bitterness, as in Ephesians 4.27. Also, it is amazing to me how insidious bitterness can be. Originally, I did not know I was bitter until God spoke to me through a sermon using a horse as an example. Only later, after forgiveness, did I recognize the bondage, the energy, the pain, and the struggle in which I had been living. In resolving conflicts, before you meet with your spouse, prepare yourself with prayer and perhaps even fasting. Pray for a calm emotional state and the right motivation, and then wait for God's timing, as in Proverbs 15, 23, and 28. Truly having the right motivation can be difficult to discern and needs careful prayer. God and often your spouse know the difference in the attitudes of your heart, even when you try to hide it. It often radiates perceptibly to someone who knows you very well, like your spouse or child. Queen Esther is a very good example. Daniel also demonstrated proper appeal to authority. When you meet with your spouse to resolve a conflict, remember, listen first. Try to understand the other's point of view and not press your opinion and speak the truth in love with all respect. Be ready to forgive fully. Ten ways not to deal with conflict. First, ignore it. Two, manifest the silent treatment. Three, ignore the significance of a conflict. Four, over-spiritualize it, saying that all things work together for good may mean that we are not sincere about resolving the problem. Five, keep score. Six, attack the person instead of the problem. Seven, blame someone else. Eight, plan to win at all costs. Nine, give and just to avoid conflict. This only keeps it going. Ten, try bribery or buying your way out of the conflict by offering a special gift. Forgive and forget, Matthew 6, 12, 14, and 15. Forgiveness is a key ingredient in resolving conflicts. We are commanded to do this. It needs to be absolute and immediate. Jesus forgave while he was on the cross. Stephen forgave the people stoning him. Forgiveness includes pardoning the other and also receiving mercy. Be genuine in asking for forgiveness. It's not just glibly saying, I am sorry. It is, I am sorry, please forgive me, and specifying your sin without excuses or explanations. Sometimes I find myself saying, I'm sorry, then rehash the problem excuse or defend myself. That's not forgiving. That's an attack. Forgiveness is not conditional and cannot be earned. Forgiveness is not pretending that the situation never happened. It was wrong and it happened. But when it is forgiven, then it is not held against that person anymore. God forgives us completely as far as the east is from the west, as in Psalm 103:12, and has cast our sins into the sea of forgetfulness, as in Micah 7:19. And as Corey Ten Boom says, no fishing allowed. Forgiveness does not make the wrong okay. It has nothing to do with approval. Forgiveness also does not mean there won't be consequences. Forgiveness does not mean that you won't get hurt in the future. Forgiveness is not a feeling, but a decision of the will and a commitment. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, Matthew 5, 7. And remember, God will forgive us as we forgive others in the Lord's Prayer. We need it to forgive each other. We also try to understand Jesus' mercy and goodness. It is foreign for human, human thinking. As we meditated on it and practiced it, we grew in it. I found that only by continuing to strip away one hurt after another and dealing with each one individually was I finally able to forgive. Receiving forgiveness was also difficult for me. For a time, I was stuck on self-condemnation and the need to do penance or be punished. Like the merciless servant in Matthew 18, 23 to 35, I did not adequately understand Jesus' forgiveness. I felt I was still in debt and needed to do more. Tony was extremely helpful in helping me understand how to receive forgiveness. And as he helped me understand Jesus better, I drew closer to him and my love grew for him. Use effective communication. This means listen and talk respectfully, as in James 1.19. Listening is a hard skill to learn. It means looking at the other person with eye contact. It requires putting your work down or stopping your activity, then focusing on what that person is saying and trying to understand and process it. Respond in such a way to show you understand. Encourage your spouse to continue explaining. Ask insightful or appropriate questions. Sometimes it's helpful to repeat what you understand. If one does not listen or half-heartedly listens, it sends a message you do not care or you're not interested and certainly don't love that person. Active listening can communicate you are important and of great value. Plan a few minutes each day just to talk with one another. And don't forget to really listen. Seek to understand, not to be understood, as in the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. We were, both so, we were both so busy that we often did not properly give each other a listening ear. Even now um, that Barb is retired, it is still hard to find time just to sit and talk together. We try to spend 15 minutes talking after I get home from work. It helps us catch, on, catch up on the day's events, and Barb finds it a language of love. We still need improvement in this area. Remember, speak the truth in love. It has been said that it's not the whole truth if it's not spoken in love. The Bible tells us what to talk about in Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Whatever is true, will it give an accurate impression? Whatever is noble, should it be imitated by others? Whatever is right, is it appropriate to say at this time? Whatever is pure, is it motivated by any pride or selfishness? Whatever is lovely, will it brighten the lives of all who hear it? Whatever is admirable, will it damage anyone's reputation? If anything is excellent, or will it motivate others to godly living? Praiseworthy, will it edify all who hear it? Think about such things, put them into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. If our speech is encouraging and positive, it will help keep the inevitable conflicts manageable, small and less frequent. The passage in Philippians is not just about speech, but behavior as well. It followed, if followed, we will be well on our way to being peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, as in Matthew 5, 9. It's very important to use the Bible as a message of peace and reconciliation, rather than as a weapon against your partner. I confess that I had used the Bible to try to control Barb early on. I need to read the Bible for myself and not use it against others. I had also become very critical of Tony, and once convicted, I felt I could almost not speak and had to be quiet. Later, when my spirit calmed, I started to truly appreciate him and could be encouraging to him. Sin destroys relationships. It may not even be directly related to your relationship. It may only be a small seed of discontent or an interest in gossip or taking up an offense from another person. These become strongholds for Satan if not confessed and our conduct unchanged. Our human nature, even as Christians, is, is, our human nature even as Christians is sinful and against God's ways. Our minds need to be set on what the Holy Spirit desires at all times, like Romans 8.5. Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion to devour us. We need not to be afraid. Jesus is already victorious. But we need to be alert and stand firm as the spiritual battle rages on. We need to hate sin. We need to take it very seriously. There is no such thing as a little sin. Do not deny, rationalize, blame, or make it seem insignificant. 
Do not believe the lie that Christians do not sin. Jesus made it clear that sin is committed if you, if you continue to entertain evil thoughts, like in Matthew 5, 27 and 28. If this occurs, repent and make a covenant with your eyes, as did Job in Job 31.1. We need to root out sin quickly and completely. The odd thing about sin is that it affects all relationships and it leads to further sin that may not be directly related to it, such as moral decay. At first, it may seem as though we are successful in hiding it, but it will be exposed eventually, and it rots our core, our fruit, and affects all our relationships, especially our marriage relationship as we carry around guilt. Clear your conscience. No matter how difficult it seems to confess a wrong, it will only get worse if you do not confess to God and to those who are involved. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God, as in Matthew 5.8. When tempted, remember 1 Corinthians 10.13. You will not be tempted more than you can bear, and God will give you a way out. And Hebrews 4.15, Jesus knows what it feels like to be tempted, yet was victorious so we can approach God with confidence. We tend to react to pressure or stress in a patterned way. Your spouse can probably tell you if you don't know. In order to be more fully changed, to be in compliance with the Holy Spirit, We need to first be willing to change and call sin, sin. Have tender, circumcised hearts that take the convictions of the Holy Spirit seriously. We need to change our thinking processes and our bad habits to be submissive to the Holy Spirit. The following constructive tool created by Lou Sterrett, based on Psalm 19, has helped us analyze these problems and then change our thinking based on what the Bible says. There are six steps with C words. Conviction is the first one. State the problem or offense. Then determine the character flaw or defect that that conviction represents. What's the concept in the Bible? The reason this is a problem and the results of continuing the negative behavior. The command, the truth of God that is violated. What does the Bible say? Commitments, decisions or resolves to change. What am I going to do about it? Conclusion. What are the results or promises of God if I follow God's command in this situation and or judgment if I do not follow God's command? As an example, this was one of my studies. Excessive criticizing was my conviction. My character defect, I said, was lack of gratefulness. The concept, this causes strife, destroys relationships, causes discouragement, interferes with counting God's blessings and blocks my ability to see God's power working. The command I chose was 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. My commitment, hold my tongue. Ask God to convict or fix the problem that I see. Let God do it, not me. Look for something positive in the situation. Find something or a different way of looking at the situation so that I can be thankful. Pray for God's perspective. Look for an encouraging word. Conclusion, peace and joy result in my relationship and myself, and it keeps Satan out. So when convicted, change your bad habits, take a stand against them, be diligent and complete in this. Follow King David's example versus King Saul's. Recognize that Jesus has already forgiven us. We need to confess our sin and then thank God for the forgiveness he has already done. Then move on in obedience. Ask for prayer support from your spouse and prayer warriors. Even though our hope is that we both grow closer to Christ, the fact is changes can be scary. Isaiah 40, 30, and 31 state that even youths grow tired and weary, but if we put our hope in the Lord, he will renew our strength. Although life is difficult, do not give up. Persevere. Falling may be a problem, but the real tragedy is in not getting up. Get your strength from Jesus. Also, we know from our own experience, negative behavior often gets worse before It gets better. That means God is convicting. Be patient with your spouse. If it gets worse before it gets better, rejoice. God has taken action. Pray harder. Do not give up. Unfortunately, that's when I had lost hope. I had become a Christian. Tony was subsequently baptized. We had marital problems. We spoke to ministers. We went to marriage retreats. It was not supposed to be this way. I gave up instead of seeing that when it seems to be worse, it is God working. I did not rejoice. I became more fearful. I did not pray harder, but then tried my own way of dealing with our marital conflicts. I listened to distorted truth of the ways of the world, and then our marriage truly decayed. Fortunately, God is faithful, 
and the many prayers were heard and we were shaken and found our way back to God and to each other. Praise God. Love each other and be generous in giving your love away to each other. When you love when your love for your spouse is true, you will not be concerned about getting your needs met. You will be concerned about filling his or her needs. Jesus' death on the cross was not only for our salvation, but to fill, us, to fill our lives with joy, as in John 15:11. Conflicts will diminish when common goals become a priority and when winning and proving yourself right is not important to you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, as in Matthew 5:3. All the early building blocks such as faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness have to do with our own relationship with Jesus. When these have been incorporated into our very being, then we are capable of brotherly kindness. The ultimate is love. Jesus demonstrated to us agape love. He calls us to, to that as well. We are entirely incapable of that kind of sacrificial love without being filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to ask and strive for that then, and what a blessed marriage we will have. Love comes in many forms. A friend gave me an example uh, of love that impressed me. She had just completed scrubbing the floors when her husband walked in at the kitchen with muddy boots, excited about a new accomplishment. Now, the wife chose not to point out the mud on her floor, but chose instead to rejoice with her husband. That is love that demonstrated a desire to uphold and cherish rather than quenching your spouse's spirit. Pray, pray, pray. Ephesians 6 exhorts us always to have on the full armor of God, stand firm and to pray. Pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers, including asking what words to say and pray for all the saints. When there's a conflict, pray. When there's a joy, pray. Pray with thanksgiving. Pray before, before speaking. Pray formally and informally. Pray without ceasing, as in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I learned about the power of prayer. I practiced keeping quiet and praying, especially when Tony was angry, tense, or worried. God is much more successful in changing people if we stay out of it. Keep quiet and pray. Also, when I am angry, unable to forgive, hung up in the motion of a conflict, I have learned not only to pray by myself, but often I needed to go to Tony and ask him to pray for me. I pray not to tell him that I'm angry because you did this and this, or that, but I am unwilling, or that I'm unwilling to forgive you. I just tell him I need you to pray for me now. He clearly knows I'm upset. He may or may not be involved, or even if he is the quote cause, may not even be aware of it. But his prayers work. I have to humble myself to ask for prayer. It releases the emotional bondage in which I'm stuck. I was afraid to do this at first, but it really works. In terms of learning about the power of prayer, I found Stormy O'Martian's book, The Power of a Praying Wife, to be extremely helpful. The first prayer in this book was at first difficult to pray. She prays in detail for her husband, for his work, finances, sexuality, affection, temptations, mind, fears, purposes, choices, health, protection, trials, integrity, reputation, priorities, relationships, fatherhood, past, attitude, Marriage emotions, walk, talk, repentance, not just the big one, but daily. Deliverance, obedience, self-image, faith, future. When I started praying in this kind of detail for my husband, my attitude started to change drastically. God took my steps of obedience and then gave me love for my husband. By the way, there's a new book now by the same author, The Power of the Praying Husband. You should be listening, husbands. Um. Sex. A talk about marriage cannot omit sexual relationships. The word has truly debased and distorted the sacred act reserved for marriage. It is difficult to maintain a pure attitude about physically making love with your spouse due to the bombardment of satanic lies. It has become cheap and violated. God created this beautiful intimacy for procreation and for our delight and pleasure. Indeed, God is pleased when it's understood in this context that he intended it to be. From this vantage, it is therefore a form of worship of God. We need to remember this and stand firm in our faith, discerning and rejecting the lies that surround us. Discern worldly influences that destroy marriages. Ask God for enlightenment, the distortion of the truth by Satan, and ask God for strength and courage to stand firm against it. Two big issues here would be finances, which, by the way, is number one 
uh, finances and uh, time. Finances are the number one reason for divorce. The answer to the question, what do we value? is very much a part of the rub when one talks about conflict and finances. They represent a limit with which one must live. And as we are all different, we place value on different things, not only on the buying power of the money, but the social significance and the message. How do we spend our money as individuals? We each have our own set of priorities of wants, needs, and values, and that directly translate to finances. Have a budget with which you can both work and then have the discipline to keep it. If finances are the number one cause of divorce, it behooves us to be very careful in this area. Time management, busyness, even in church work and other good works can create problems. We need to prioritize our time and like finances, there is a limit. We need to accept that we cannot do everything. Saying yes to one activity means an implicit no to another. It is a fallacy to think you can make up time, for example, by driving faster. Multitasking is another false concept. Is it really getting more done in less time, or is it missing the enjoyment, the memories, the connections with people? Can you put a time estimate on developing your relationship with your spouse or your children? Are we fulfilling our duties as delineated in the Bible? Do we stop to enjoy God's creation and thank him for all his blessings? We need the Holy Spirit to help us discern how to spend our time within a schedule and then be alert to the divine interruptions. In conclusion, becoming one is a process. It depends on each person yielding to God's plan and thereby to each other. This demonstrates obedience to God and, in fact, is a form of worship. Also, when God works in someone's life, the problem behaviors often become worse before they become better. Rejoice, play all the harder, and do not give up. No other way is better than God's way. No one can change people, only the Holy Spirit can. Then even God allowed us to choose. We as human beings need to also allow our spouse to choose. Romans 15:13 states, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your attention. Any questions? <laughs> <laughs> Any comments? <laughs>